the classic author A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about Almighty God. So if you want to change your life, change how you think about God. I have two sons, they're 16 and 14 years old, and we love to mix it up on the basketball court together. We love to hoop it up. And, and sometimes after a game, the person who loses will sometimes look at the person who wins and just having a little fun, a little smack talk, say, hey, I'm glad you won, high five, all that, but just so you know, I was only playing about 70%. Like I was just giving about 70% effort. At which point the person who won will look back at them and say, well, I'm glad to know that you were only given about 70% effort because I was actually only given about 50%. <laughs> at which point the other person, of course, says, oh, did I say 70? I actually meant I was only given about 30% effort. <laughs> and we just have a little fun with each other. But what we're saying is you only saw a part of me out there on the court. There's more of me that you didn't see, and next time I'm going to bring it. Many of us have a view of God that's way too narrow. We're not seeing how massive and amazing God is. When we think about God, when we see God in our life, we're only seeing a narrow part of who he is. And he's wanting to show us so much more. God's wanting to open your eyes today to who he is and who he wants to be in your life. And I'm telling you, it'll change everything. But for some of us, it's going to mean changing how we think about God. Lining up our vision of God with his vision that he's given us very clearly in his written word. See, we all have our favorite Bible verses. Many of us are taught in different, you know, upbringings with some grown up and far from God, some grown up very close to God. But however you were taught about God, some people were taught about God in such a way that it was a very me-focused version of him. All the messages... All the communication about God were God loves me, God wants to take care of me, God's there to bless me, God wants to prosper me, he wants to protect me, God wants to heal me. It was all about me. And if that's the Christianity that you have, you have a great liability you may not yet have realized. As a pastor now for many years, I've seen so many times that people have stumbled into hard times in their life with this me version of Christianity. These things, which by the way, are all true. All of them are indispensable and absolutely critical in God's word. It's just not the whole story. And they walk into hard times with this me version of Christianity. And when their expectations of how they thought life would go, what they thought God was going to do in their life. God's going to bless you. God's going to prosper you, all these wonderful things. And when those things did not happen exactly how they thought they would, their faith gets real shaky. Because their vision, their religion was a very me-focused version of God instead of a God-focused version of faith. And my hope today for our church family is it, is it throughout church experience, we together can grow some roots down in our faith? We can strengthen some spiritual muscle? We can move closer to God by reframing how we understand who God is in his word and how he wants us to think about him. Because the most important thing in your life is what you think about when you think about God. That's where we're headed today as I've titled this message, This Is Our God. And through the book of Psalms today, we're going to look at some different 
character qualities, some aspects of who God is, and some of them are perhaps not aspects of God's nature that you think about all that much, but they have massive implications in how you live in your faith journey. So I'm really excited today for where we're going to go and what God's going to do. Psalm chapter 5 is where we're going to begin. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up, you want to power it on. But every time we put these verses up here on the screen for you today, I hope you just ask this question. What can I learn about who God is? Psalm chapter 5 Verse four, God's word says, for you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house and reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. It starts out saying, these are all the things that, that God is not for. He's not about. And, you know, sometimes you can learn about somebody, who they are, not just by what they say they're all about. For example, you can learn about a family. They might say, well, hey, we love to have fun, right? Or, we love to spend time together. That's one way you can learn about a family. But you can also learn about a family through what they're not about. They might say, well, our family, we don't eat junk food. During the school year, we don't stay up past bedtime, right? You can learn some things in the positive and the negative, and they're both equally true. And so sometimes it's hard to grasp both. And, and some of us are growing up just thinking about the positive sides of the nature of God. Now, they're all positive in a theological sense, but just, hey, God is for me, and God is for all these good things in my life. It's all true, but also God is against some things very passionately against, and it's really interesting because it says that not only is he against evil, but take a look again at verse 6. He says, you destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty and the deceitful, you destroy them? Now, does that fit into your theology, right? Verse 5, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Man, it's tough to swallow because in the New Testament it says all of us are sinners, we, we all sin, right? Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So other than by God's grace, we're all in trouble. We're standing as enemies of God. This God who does love us and does want to be in relationship with us, it tells us that, that evil is a big deal in his eyes, and he has authority to punish us. He has authority, and his authority, the, the boundary lines that God has set is that when you step outside of sin and rebel against me, I never overlook that. It's a big deal in God's eyes. Let me show you another place, this, the same quality, and then we're going to talk about for a moment. Psalm chapter 11. Turn a page to the right and look at Psalm 11, verse 4. Psalm 11, verse 4 says, The Lord in his holy temple, the Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth, and his eyes examine them. So he sees everything in our life. It's a little terrifying, right? He sees it all. Verse 5, check this out. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. He hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. What is God trying to tell us here in all this? Because it seems like the message should just be all love. And we get that message. It's clear throughout God's word. But it also tells us that God hates. He hates sin. And why does he hate sin? It's because he loves you. And God loves you so much, he knows what sin will do to you. It will, it will lead to death and destruction. It will ruin you for all of eternity. That's what sin will do. It will unravel your life. If you introduce it to your business, it will ruin your business. If you introduce sin into your marriage, it will ruin your marriage. Sin will ruin your life. And because God loves you, he hates sin. He's passionate, passionately against sin. 
It says he hates it. And those who are into sin, they've made themselves enemies of God. It says he hates with a passion. And, and why? It's because of that closing verse we just read. Because he's a just God. He has justice and authority as a part of God's nature that we just don't talk very much about. But you can never understand how amazing grace is and you'll never worship with the kind of passion that you can worship the Lord with until you understand the justice of God, the wrath of God against sin. When you understand how passionate God is against sin, even the minor sins that we love to just brush under the rug and hide and say, that's not a big deal. God's saying every time, listen, that is a big deal to me. I hate it. I hate it. It's rebellion against me. It's lawlessness. And if you broke one law, you're a lawbreaker. And lawbreakers, they're the enemies of God. Like, right, but he hates with the passion, the sin in our lives. So once you understand the justice aspect of God, it will eventually increase your worship and, and gratitude for his love. But we have to talk about the justice of God because it's connected to his authority. And if you want to take some notes today, here, here's, the, here's the quality, the nature of God. Our God has authority. He has authority. That's the quality. He has the authority of heaven on his side. He decides what's right and wrong. We, we have opinions. We have reasoning and, and understanding here on earth. We have some levels of knowledge. But, but God has ultimate wisdom and knowledge and truth, and he says what's right and wrong. He determines those things. God has authority. Now, this is bad news for a lot of believers. It's bad news. Why is that? Because a lot of believers are hamstrung in their faith. They're not able to run in their faith because of this aspect of who God is. He's a, uh, he has authority because we have authority issues. <laughs> we do, right? I mean, there's a lot of people in the room today that have authority issues. It's one of three reasons, probably. One is that someone burned you before that had authority in your life. It might have been a parent who didn't parent you right. It might have been a boss, a supervisor. Maybe you got fired unjustly, but you had an authority figure in your life that burned you, and because of that, you have a hard time trusting authority. And because of that, you have a hard time submitting to God's authority. And so you don't like to think about God as the authority. You'd rather have a God that will bless you and just sprinkle his blessing and love all over your life while you do whatever you want to do. And it keeps you from experiencing the fullness of what God has to offer in your life. The second reason some people have authority issues is not only because they've been burned, but because they've always been the kind of person who had a better idea than their authority. Right? Maybe, maybe that was you or somebody that you know. Right? You know, they always had a little bit better idea than their boss or their parent, or they thought there was a better way to do things. And, and sometimes they were right, but sometimes they were wrong. But they live their life that if I have the better idea, the better idea is going to win, not honoring authority. And if you live that way with humans, you will live that way with God. Meaning... Okay, God, I'll take the parts of your word that seem true to me and seem workable, but the things that don't make sense to me, it's kind of like a buffet. I'll take the parts that I agree with and I think are a good idea, but the parts of your word that I don't think are a good idea, I'm going to do whatever I want. And so we have authority issues, and it gets us into so much trouble spiritually, it holds us back from all that God has for us. And the third reason people have authority issues is because we in general, and this is all of us, are very independent in nature. We are very independent in nature. We love to do whatever we want to do, and we don't want anybody to tell us anything. And in our spiritual life, how that translates very poorly is that, God, I really don't want you to tell me what to do. I want you to bless me doing whatever I want to do. And the idea of surrender is very difficult, and, and many of us fear that because we don't like to be under authority. But God's nature is he's a God of justice. He's a God of authority. And what he says goes, and there will be consequences for those who rebel against his ways. 
had an opportunity this summer with family to go whitewater rafting in Tennessee, and my parents were so kind to bless uh, myself and my two brothers and our families with this, this trip together. And it was so fun to be out on the water. And while we were out on the water, we were at a calmer spot between two different rapids, and my wife was in the, the back of the raft talking to our raft guide. And I, I heard, overheard this conversation where the, the raft guide uh, and my wife were chatting, and my wife said, are you still afraid? Like, you've been doing this a lot of years. Are you still afraid when you go down these rapids? And at which point the rafting guide said something we didn't expect. She says, well, of course I am. I have a healthy fear of the water. And when you lose your fear of the rapids, you should hang it up as a guide because that's when it gets dangerous. That's when you can have real problems, when you don't have a healthy fear. And a lot of believers don't have reverence and awe in their worship of God. They're missing this because they don't fear the authority of God. They don't trust the authority of God. And so they're limited in their faith, and they stay on the very shallow end of the pool spiritually, and they can never dive into the depths of all God wants to deliver to them, the wisdom that he wants to impart to them to help them live a better life. They can't receive it because they can't submit to the authority of God. But it tells us in Proverbs chapter one, the beginning of wisdom is this. It's the fear of the Lord. Why is that? It's because when I fear in a reverence, not I'm afraid of God, but because I know he loves me and love drives out fear, but it's a reverent awe of who God is. When I have this reverent fear of who God is, listen, listen, then because I fear him, I can say, God, I will submit to you out of honor whether I understand it or not, you are God and I am not. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's a humility that comes as I bow before him. So how do we mature in this area? How do we grow in this area? Here it is. Let's, let's change that statement you wrote down a few minutes ago. Let's make it more personal. Here's how I grow. Here's how I change in this area. God is my authority. God is my authority. You want to change how you think about God? You want to change your life? Start thinking this. Start praying into this. God is my authority. God, you are my authority. I submit to you. I surrender to you. God, whatever you say goes, and I'm going to be in your word every day as an alignment, as a corrective heart surgery that I know I need so I can stay in alignment with you. God is my authority, and it impacts every aspect of your life. It impacts everything. God is my authority. The next aspect of God's nature that we want to go after today is found in Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18, beginning in verse 2. God's word says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction, they overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Let's jump down to verse 16. He says, he reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from the, my powerful enemy from my foes who were too strong for me. Verse 18, they confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's such a beautiful thing. God delights in you. He does love you. He is the authority. He has power. He hates sin, but man, he, he loves you so much. He it doesn't, not just that he just loves you. It's beyond that. It's better than that. He delights in you. You bring a smile to him. You bring joy to his heart because he does care about you. 
But I find some interesting, some very interesting and helpful wisdom in this passage of Scripture. And I just want to make a, a contrast here of how it speaks about who God is and what situation we find ourselves in. Did, I want to go back over some of those words we just read. There at the beginning in Psalm 18, it says that God is our rock. It said he's my fortress. He's my refuge, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold. So all these aspects of God's nature, I need, I need to understand this, who God is. He's so strong and mighty and powerful. He's a protector. Yet then it, it tells me in contrast, my situation in the flesh without God is telling me, man, I'm entangled, overwhelmed, like the grave coiled around me, the snares of death, the torrents of destruction. So you see, God is in this very firm and strong place. I'm in a very vulnerable place. And then it goes into later in that chapter that we just read in, verse, in Psalm 18. He says, he reached down. He took hold. He drew out. He was my support. He brought me out and he rescued me. And, and as you read all these amazing things, here's the lesson that you get. Maybe write this down. Our God rescues. And that's what we learn about who God is in his nature. He's a rescuer. Our God rescues. It's such an amazing thing. Now, I mentioned that we were out on, on the rafts and, and, and my brothers, they were both in different boat, rafting boats and we had our families with us. And, and my, 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 my younger brother that's actually bigger than me, and how many of you know that's a bad thing when your younger brother that you used to pick on when you're little kids, he grows, he's a little bit taller than you. He's like 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, he's got broad shoulders. He's a fire chief. And he, he, he's a big dude. He's a strong dude. He's a tough dude to be honest. And, and Brock is his name, Brock the Rock. You know, it goes with it. And, and so he was in this other raft, and his rafting guide in one of the, the rapids that we were in actually fell out of the raft. And he told him later, this only happened a few times in his career of being a rafting guide. It's very rare that the, the guide falls out of the boat, but he fell out of the boat. And, and my brother, he's such a big guy. He's, he's a, again, a fireman, so he just naturally thought to do this. He, he scooped the rafting guide up out of the water, picked him up, and put him back in the boat. And they had a good laugh about this later, talked about it. But when we chatted about it later, we heard the story. We said, you know what, Brock was the perfect person to be in that raft with a guide because Brock has the nature to go after people who are sinking and help him out. That's just who he is. He had the strength to pull him up out of the water because you can have the desire, yet not have the ability. He was the perfect person, the right place at the right time, and he was able to rescue. You need to understand the strength of God to rescue you no matter what you find yourself in. Some of us here today, we're looking at God thinking, man, I, God, I am in so much of a mess, and a mess of my own making or maybe someone else's sin that got me where I am, but God, I am in such a bad place. I don't, I don't see hope. I don't see light. I don't see anything at the end of the tunnel other than darkness. You need to know that you have a God who is mighty in power, a God who rescues. He is a rescuer. He has the ability and the desire to pull you up out of whatever hole you have sunken into at any time in your life, he'll never give up on you. He always sees hope. He always sees potential. You're looking at your past, but he's looking at that potential. You're thinking about your failures. He's thinking about your future. That's who God is. Come on, can we clap our hands today? That's who our God is. Come on, let's clap our hands like we really mean it. He's a God who rescues. That's who he is. He's a God who rescues us. He cares about us. The problem is sometimes we don't know we need to be rescued. Now, I don't know when I'm in a Mexican restaurant and they got the, the chips and salsa on the table or you're at a place with bottomless fries. You don't know, know you need to be rescued. It's like they just keep bringing out another, another plate of chips and you're eating them. You don't know, but you'll know later in that day, right? Because you're like, man, I ate too many. Uh, too many, right? You don't know you need to be rescued in the moment. You're just having a good time. And some of us in our, in our Christian journey, we don't know that we need to be rescued. We don't know we need to be rescued in it. And it's a, a great liability in our faith when we don't understand this aspect of who God is because we become very self-sufficient in our Christianity. And those two things are diametrically opposed. In fact, in our spiritual journey, a mentor of mine taught me this earlier on in my spiritual journey. He said, 
Physical dependence and spiritual dependence are two very different things. And the way that you mature physically and the way you mature spiritually are exact opposite. Think about physically how you mature when you are a young child. You're dependent on your parents for everything, to change your diaper, to feed you food. And as you grow older, you become more and more independent. Yet spiritually, we start out very independent. We do whatever we want, whenever we want. We, we do it however we want to do it, right? And it gets us into all kinds of trouble. And then we realize, God, I need you. And at some point, we become so dependent on God that we surrender our life to him. And as we rise in spiritual maturity, we rise in dependence on God. And, you, and that's why when you talk to people who've been walking with Jesus a long time, they're like, man, God is everything to me. I need him. I need, he, he, is, he is all to me. I am dependent on him. And so many Christians are, again, in that shallow end of the pool spiritually because they're so self-sufficient. God is there to bless me and help me, sure, and whatever I'm going to do. But they're not really depending on him. They're still independent and doing life on their own terms with their own vision instead of surrendering to God's vision for their life. And I'm just here to say that God wants to be a rescuer in your life. Look at one more verse on this, this topic, Psalm chapter 7, verse 10. Well, God's word says, my shield is God most high. Think about that. He's a powerful shield for us who saves the upright in heart. He saves. He's a shield. He saves. Why would you need saving unless you were sinking? And the greatest part of the, the gospel story, the good news in Scripture, is that, that we were sinking in our sin, and we needed saving. And so Jesus, our Savior, he came, and he gave his life on that Roman cross 2,000 years ago. Because one of two people would pay for your sins. It would be you or it would be Jesus. And you would have paid for your sins for all of eternity, but he said, I'll take the payment because I'm without sin, so I can die for your sin. And he died and he said, all who look to me in faith, I'll forgive them of their sins and receive them into a relationship, a lasting relationship, a permanent relationship, adopted into the family of God. As it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who believe, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what God had in mind for us, to rescue us, to be our Lord and our Savior. See, he's our Lord, he's the authority. You sometimes hear people say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's because they're saying he's, he's my authority, he's my Lord but he's also my savior. He saved me. He's, he's a rescuer. That's what he loves to do. And God wants you to come to him in desperation, and he wants to come, you to come to him in dependence, saying, God, I need you. I want to live for you. And so let me ask you, in your times with God and your times of prayer, do you pray with dependence on God? I need you. Do you pray in desperation? God, without you, I have no hope. Or are you struggling along in self-sufficient Christianity? God has so much more for you. Right on? Right on. Hey, let's go on to this third and final quality today that then we're, we're going to talk about it in Psalm chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic, do you see that word? How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Here we're going to talk a little bit about the majesty of God, how majestic he is. What does that word actually mean? That, that word is a beautiful word. It means having impressive dignity or beauty, being grand or lofty. And when I set my mind on how great God is, 
how majestic my God is. That completely wrecks me spiritually in a very good way because I see the greatness of God and in comparison, I see how small I am. And then I'm left asking this question, what is man that you are mindful of him? Like it says here in verse four, who am I, God, that you would care for who I am? But listen, you know what sin does? Sin elevates my status before God. I'm not that bad. I'm a a pretty good person. God and I aren't that far apart. He gets me and I get God. Like we're, we're kind of, we're, we're buddies, you know, we're, it's, it's all good. He understands, he understands my shortcomings. It's not that big of a deal. And we bring ourselves up in pride. We elevate ourselves and pride comes before the fall. But in humility, instead in worship, when I see the majesty of God, I lower myself in reverence and I say, God, you are so amazing. God, you are incredible. And I am so insignificant in comparison. And all these huge problems in my life that have been so big in comparison to me, God, they're nothing to you. And I'm nothing to you, so why do you care so much about me? See, my worship grows. My praise increases. When I see how great God is, and I see the massive gap between me and God, I can look at God and say, God, how could you love someone like me? God, how would you care about me with all you have going on? God, that you would care about my life. It's truly amazing. It elevates our worship. It's so powerful. We realize who God is. It it takes our breath away. I mentioned playing basketball with my boys earlier. And I had an experience. It was a little crazy uh, just over these last couple of weeks. So my my younger son, first he was playing some basketball with me. And and he wanted to play some one-on-one. And and we got to a point where we were about wrapping it up. And and I needed to go clean my, my workbench in our garage. I needed to kind of straighten it up. That was my project before I went in for the night. And he's like, Dad, can we play one more game? I'm like, I got to go clean up. He's like, how about, how about, Dad, if we play another game, if you beat me, I'll clean it up. But, Dad, if I beat you, I get to stay up an extra 30 minutes tonight. <laughs> I said, deal, son. Let's do it. And so we started playing. We had a good game. But I beat him. I beat him, and he had to go clean my workbench, and I let him clean my workbench. We have some fun with that. So my, my other son hears about this, and he thinks that's pretty fun. And so we're playing some one-on-one another day, and he goes, hey, Dad, remember what you did with Kylan? I, I want to play that same game with you. And, and so we, we talked about it a little bit, and I had some other projects around the house. I'm like, okay, I'll do these things. What do you want? He goes, well, if, if I beat you, then you got to clean my room. <laughs> so like, I don't want to clean your room, but if you beat me, I'll clean your room. And I'm thinking he's not going to beat me. So we play this game, and his shots are falling. He's making his shots. He's 16. He's scoring on me, and I'm thinking, I'm in trouble, and I'm trying my best, but he he actually beats me. (laughs) So I'm like, i got to clean your room now. He's like, yeah, you do. So I, of course, as a dad, I come through. I say, well, son, how about this? I'll make a deal with you. I will clean your room if you want me to, or we can do double or nothing. And if I beat you, then I don't have to clean your room. That's it. But if you beat me, I will do all of your chores, including cleaning your room all week long. I'll take out the trash. I'll do all the things that you do around the house. I'll do all of that for you if you can beat me basketball. <laughs> he said, all right, you're on, Dad, because that's going to be awesome. So we start playing the next game. I'm thinking, I've got to win this game. We get into the game. He's dropping some shots. I'm dropping some shots. And I realize in the midst of this game that we have family coming into town that next week. And I realize and remember that every time someone has come into town to stay at our house, my wife, and she's like, all right, guys, we got to clean this up that we haven't done. We got to clean this up. And there's a whole bunch of extra chores. And I realize that I have got myself into a huge predicament because my son's going to have a lot of extra chores this week, just like we all are. And I volunteered to do his chores and my chores. (laughs) 
So it took my breath away for a moment, and I started playing with everything I had. Not 100%, not 110%. I was giving him 150%. I'm a little bit taller than him. I'm backing him in. I'm going to score. It doesn't matter. He's like, who, what has happened? The beast has come out. Beast mode, man. And I won that game. I won that game, and I did not do his chores for the week. But when I realized what I got myself into, when I realized how big of a commitment I had made, I realized I'm taking this serious. And when you start to see the majesty of who God is and you realize that this is for real, this, is, this has massive stakes, eternal stakes, the amazing wonder of who God is, the power, the authority of God, he's a rescuer, he cares about me, you start to see the full picture of who God is. It takes your breath away. You start to lean in. You start to give your all. It increases your worship as you see this majestic king, and that's the lesson. Our God is a majestic king. You start to see God for the power that he has, the beauty that comes from him, and all that he creates, the beauty he made all around us. You start to see that God is holy, that he is set apart, that he is perfect and without sin. You start to understand that he's fully trustworthy. Not only is he almighty, but he's majestic to behold in your praise and in your worship. As it says in Psalm chapter 24, look with me at at verse 10. God's word says, who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Who is this amazing God? He's the king. He's our majestic king. And most people, they have such a small view of who God is. They they don't see him for his majesty. Don't be that that person. Because I'm telling you that your eyes and your heart are opened. And the floodgates of worship just fill your soul. There's such peace when you recognize this greatness of this majestic king who loves you so much. It does so much in your life. I just, as I was preparing this message for us, I thought of a handful of things that that I've seen it do in my life and I've seen it do in others' lives. When you start to see the majestic nature of God, one is it causes my my worship of God's greatness to increase. And I worship, I, I don't come on Sunday and just let lyrics fall out of my mouth. I come and bring my best worship. Arms up in the air to the heavens, heart open wide because I see the majestic nature of God. The second thing I see is it increases our appreciation and our gratitude and our thankfulness. We become more thankful uh, followers of Jesus. And there's so many entitled Christians. It's like we deserve all the goodness and kindness of God. And if he doesn't deliver, then I'm going to be in a bad mood. I'm going to complain. I might even get angry at God. There's so many entitled Christians. But when you start to realize by God's grace alone do I receive his kindness, I don't deserve any of it. So everything is a gift. Man, you just become a thankful person. Every good thing in your life, it just pops. Thank you, God. The other thing I see is that that it brings back the joy of my salvation. I love talking with new believers. I love being around people who are crossing that line into faith. And we just had a handful of people in our church just last week who gave their lives to Jesus. And I love that. And I love being around because they have such joy and passion. They're like, I get it. A guy last week in church just walked out, tears streaming down his eyes. He's like, man, I get it. I want to be more all in in my faith. And you just, you see that joy and that passion. But what happens is sometimes the familiarity robs us of the sheer wonder of following Jesus. Over time, we become familiar with it. We become entitled. And and when you focus on the majesty of God, it brings that joy back. The other thing I see it do is is it, it causes submission in our life not only to increase, but it becomes a get to. It's a great honor to submit my life to God. When I don't see the majesty of God, what I do is I I push back against God's authority. I don't submit my life to God or I do it and I do it begrudgingly out of duty 
but when I see the majesty of who God is and how much he cares about me, then I can willingly and gladly surrender and submit to what God wants me to do and whatever he wants me to do. Take up your cross and follow me. Yes, Jesus. I'd rather an easier road, but God, whatever it takes, I'm all in. And it's a, it's a grateful thing I get to do. And then finally, my hope increases. My hope increases when I sing this majestic king. Why? Because a king has an inheritance of a kingdom. And when I've been adopted into the family of a king, that means I'm a child, I'm an heir of a king, and I have all of eternity to look forward to the inheritance of a king. This is amazing. The inheritance that we have in Jesus, because of Jesus and the kingdom of God, is beyond anything we can imagine. So here's the final lesson. This great king is my father and friend. This great king, this almighty God, this majestic king, the name above all names, the king above every kingdom. This God in heaven is my king, and he's my father, and he's my friend. It changes absolutely everything. I want to wrap up today's message with one more verse from Psalm chapter 25. In verse 5, where his word says, Guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are my God, God my Savior. You are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Yeah, I love that. My hope is in you all day long. Yeah, I was talking a lot about basketball today. It was a passion of mine growing up, and I was just kind of thinking about this a little bit and uh, kind of reflecting back. And, you know, when I, when I was in high school and college and playing some ball with some friends, you know, there, there was a, a phrase that you would, you would say if you were making all of your shots. I mean, you, you made six, seven, eight, nine shots in a row. Uh, your buddy did. There was a phrase that everybody started to say, oh, man, he's all day. He's all day. Or you're winning. Like you're, you're playing game after game, and you keep winning and winning. Somebody say, man, he's all day. That team, all day. And what are they saying? They're saying, man, they're not going to lose. They're not going to miss a shot. They're going to keep going all day, all day. And, and, and I love this verse. If we can go back to it one more time as we, as we close, Psalm chapter 25. Look at this. He's, he says, God, I, I'm dwelling on who you are. Look, he says, you are my hope, and my hope is in you all day long. It's never going to end. The victories in you are continuous. God, we have ultimate victory in you. Your, your nature, it's unending. Who you are, I'm never going to fully grasp the beauty of all that you are. I can only grab just pieces of it, but I'm going to try. I'm going I'm to keep reaching out because, God, it goes on and on and on. My hope is unending. God, I have so much to look forward to in you. You are my hope. You are my joy. Not only are you my authority, not only are you my rescuer, but you are my majestic king, my father and my friend. And as we start to understand more about this God, who he is, this God, he's our God. This is our God. It increases our worship and it will change our lives. So let's begin where we, let's end where we began today. A.W. Tozer, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. So what comes to your mind when you think about the authority and the rescuing nature and the majestic kingship of our God? I hope these things will dwell in your mind all week long and you'll give him praise because he deserves it. Right on. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. Your nature today, it just amazes us. And we confess that so many times we've had such a narrow view of who you are. We've had such a me-focused version of Christianity. God, we know that you love us. We know that you want to care about us. God, we know you want to bless us. All these things are wonderful, but God, we understand that our faith is more than just about us. It's actually really about you, about who you are. And yes, God, you do think about us, but God, we need to change how we think about you. And so, God, today we confess that sometimes we have had a very narrow view of who you are, and we're just asking you to expand our view through your word 
of who you are and just open our, our, our eyes, open our minds to the greatness of our God, to God, your amazing authority, so we can submit to you in joy and in fear and reverent awe, we can worship you. God, may we understand the, the beauty of your nature as a rescuer, that God, you rescue us from no matter what we fall into. God, you're there to help us. And God, may we see how majestic you are as a king, but you're not just a king, you're our king, our father and our friend. And we're so grateful today, God, So we've had this conversation to recognize that, that God, there's so much more of you that we can tap into. And so God, keep us hungry, keep us learning, keep us in this posture of pursuing you. And God, I pray that we'd wake up tomorrow morning with a greater hunger to get into your word and to read about you and learn about you and know you. And as we pray, God, may we pray desperate prayers, prayers of dependence on you, not independence, doing our own thing and asking you to bless it. But God, we want to depend on you. You are everything. You are our God. You are our King. We praise your wonderful name today. And we thank you for the amazing grace expressed to us through Jesus and the great gift he gave us on the cross of salvation. We thank you so much. We thank you for all that you mean to us. In Jesus' name we pray.